Welcome to our newest C10 Conversation. I'm Matt Folks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you'll do a couple things real quick like hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and go on and share this with your family and friends. Hey, I am so excited about this week's guest, but before I introduce you to him, let's talk about this month's C word, coach. In the C in the major leagues vernacular, coach means someone who understands the big picture, is an independent thinker, a good self-evaluator, and offers enthusiasm. This week's guest certainly fits all of those, whether you're one of his employees or a friend or a mentee, and I feel I fall into those final two categories. He's retired CEO of what was then Schick and Schick USA, a company that designs, manufactures, installs, and services ingredient automation systems for customers worldwide. Their expertise includes automation of bulk, minor, micro, liquid ingredients, and process design. We will figure out in a few minutes what all of that means. He was one of our Crown Town Challenge character champions last fall. He's been the host of our, of our wiffle ball and other events at his house. He's active in the Kansas City community, including serving as a board member of C in Major Leagues. And he's someone that, as I mentioned, I consider a great friend and a great mentor. He, of course, is Joe Ungashik. Joe, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for, we're doing this in your house and we're just a few feet from the wiffle ball field. We're a few feet from where we had our C10 students and mentors out last summer. And uh, I'm just, I'm so excited. We've talked about this for a long time. I'm just really excited to, to do this with you today. Well, you've set the bar high. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> well, we have a lot to cover, including trying to figure out what this worldwide company based in Kansas City does, but we like to start these conversations with what we call pregame batting practice, just four quick questions to get to know you a little bit better. Here we go. Question number one, my mentor growing up was? Well, I'd say it, it, it had to be in the sports world, and my godfather was Joe McGuff, who was editor of the Star. I didn't and of course, that. Yes, had a lot to do with the Royals established here and all that, and so... Uh, close friends with our family. And, and so as I think back, I'm going, I hung on every word. That is awesome. I had no idea. All right. Well, speaking of Joe McGuff and the Royals, question number two, my favorite Royals player of all time. That's easy. Joe Keogh. <laughs> and it's, I've never heard anyone else claim him. So I think I'm uh, his only fan. I uh, Maybe his brother, Matt. Yeah. But he was a... He was a hustler, so that was important because those of us who lack skill tried to make up for it with hustling. <laughs> so anyway, and that that would explain, I guess, number sixteen that you wear at uh, exactly. You got it. Question number three, and I probably should have sent this one to you, but my motto in leadership is lead by example. Mm -hmm. uh, be the first one there in the morning, last one to leave at night. Um, prepare better than anyone else, and always consider the individual in what you're doing, even though you may be thinking about hundreds or thousands, but ultimately it's a bunch of individuals that are your audience. So if you're leading them, you better be thinking about them individually because that's how they're thinking about you. Mm -hmm. so. yeah, exactly. And then question number four, if I could meet one person in history, it would be? Joe Keogh. <laughs> can you, you arrange? Can you arrange that? Yeah. So I mean, you mentioned 
you mentioned McGuff, and so obviously you grew up here in the Kansas City area. Tell me about 17-year-old Joe Ungeschick. Well, Ungeschick in German means clumsy. <laughs> and so I, especially at 17, personified that. 17 was also my the, la- the age that I finished organized ball, and it's, it's amazing they kept me on the team. They didn't have DHs. I... I could hit, but I, I sure couldn't field, and I could trip over myself really well. So that, right. that was 17. I, I was the nice guy, and that meant you didn't get the chicks. <laughs> you had several siblings, and if I remember correctly, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We do. Uh, along with, I mean, you're Joseph, and there's a Mary, and so obviously a, a somewhat religious family. Where did you fall in that line of? Well, I was the second oldest by birth. And then when my older sister, Amy, turned 15 and she was seeing the daunting task of leading this crowd, she turned to me and said, would you be the oldest? So <laughs> I, I said, sure. <laughs> so so how, many, how many siblings did you have? There were nine, there were nine total. So what's the age difference between the two oldest and then the youngest? Actually, my mom had 12 pregnancies in 12 years. Mm. Uh, two miscarriages and a stillborn. Wow. And see, my, my brother and I, so my brother's 10 and a half years younger than me. And we used to joke, we still do, that we're both basically an only child. Because, you know, I left the house at 18 and he was eight. Did you have to babysit? Of course. But what was that dynamic like? Cooked the meals. If they didn't finish on time, I got out the hot peppers. That was the threat, you know, all that stuff. But (laughs) uh, as you can imagine, life was a blast. We grew up in Brookside with a pocket park in the middle of our block. And back in those days, you know, we were out till the streetlights came on. Well, and it's funny. uh, We had Diana Byrne on one of our past podcasts. And Diane, of course, as you know, is, uh, you know, she's heavily involved with our C10 mentoring leadership program. And you and know, my you high know school, Diane. My high school classmate. Yes. Yes. You've known her for a few years. That's right. And, and she uh, is the same Diane I knew then. Is she? Yes. <laughs> it, it was so cool, I'm guessing, growing up at that time with close group of friends and, and neighbors like that, classmates, et cetera. Yeah. I, this is my town. I mean, I, I spent my career traveling the world, always getting to come back to Kansas City, and I would call myself a Kansas City Goodwill Ambassador because I think it's the greatest town you could ever raise a family or, mm-hmm. or enjoy. You know, I always said that it had the benefits of every big town and uh, not and, and, and a small town and not a lot of the misgivings or curses of those either, so... Yeah. So tell me about, at least at that point, Schick, this company your dad started, and, and what, what did they do early on? What was his... He was a pioneer using air to move flour through a tube. So they were flour handling systems. And before this application, I won't say invention, because it was used in the cement industry, I think, to begin. But it, it meant that you weren't breaking the backs of these workers by having them carry 50-pound bags and 
dumping them over the bowl of a mixer. So let's so let's pause here because I'm, you know, again, I'm when you first told me this years ago, I'm thinking, okay, why are we carting off a bunch of flour? But this is for what, like the big companies, like a keyboard comes to mind as I think about flour. I'm thinking about cookies for some reason, but um, is it that type of company that we're talking about? The, the Keebler elves are some of my best friends. <laughs> and we we did most of the Keebler, Keebler work in the U.S. Yes. Really? Yeah. And and those companies. Yeah, we were the small guys where you knew most of our customers because they were producing retail goods, mostly grain-based, so corn chips for Frito-Lay and Mission Foods tacos and on down the line. Huh. So, yeah. So what was what was your dad's background? Why would he suddenly think, you know, we need a system for this? Well, he was an aeronautical engineer at Notre Dame, then designing hmm. airplane wings in World War II. And so filled with all these thoughts about air, he wanted to entrain air and use it. And he always wanted to own his own business. Huh. So, so when did he start it? The year I was born, 1955, and moved huh. from Ohio to Kansas City with the expressed intention of serving the, the country. Met a flight attendant, married her. and Fascinating. When, when somebody has that type of entrepreneurial mind, if you will, I mean, again, we're talking about the mid-50s, coming with this idea that I'm going to Kansas City, we're going to start this company, and it's going to serve the rest of the country. That's, that's a pretty big thought. And he didn't Especially have any 50s. money. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever could fit in his suitcase, I'm sure. So as you were growing up, was there, it's a foregone conclusion that, that you're going to work for the family business, so to speak? It was a foregone conclusion that I never would because oh. it was the secretive part of his life. So when he was home, he was home, but he didn't bring the office home. <laughs> and we got to go to the Schicknicks. The family picnics, and that's all I knew about the company. Really? Yep. Was that by design? Did he just was he the type that he's not going to bring work home? Let's just say he was a complex guy, and it's probably more than we can take apart here. <laughs> but he had a health issue, uh, and and left life early, mm -hmm. and I was uh, the oldest male, and the door cracked open enough that I could tell. He wanted to include me, and I came in, and I came out. <laughs> <laughs> so you you mentioned he went to Notre Dame. You're a Notre Dame guy as well. Was that growing up? I mean, again, good Catholic family. Were you were you always headed to Notre Dame, or was it's a pretty mystical view? You know, you growing up in the Catholic community and seeing Notre Dame on TV every Saturday morning. And my dad was president of the Notre Dame club in Kansas City. And hmm. the, the year that Jim Lynch was drafted first by the Chiefs and to have Jim and Georgia Lynch introduced to us at the family dinner table as my dad's welcoming him to town, uh, you know, that, that wasn't hard to think about going to Notre Dame. Right? Seal the deal. So yeah, right, right. So what did you study there? Accounting. Of course, I started out in engineering because my dad was an engineer, and six weeks later, I was like, <laughs> that's for the birds. So, 
which happens a lot. I mean, I, I went to school as a psychology major. But you didn't, I mean, you talk about Kansas City and, and loving Kansas City, but you didn't come here originally, did you? Well, no, I went to the Chicago market and worked for Price Waterhouse, as did many of my classmates and friends. So it was a good time to be away, but didn't stay there too long and came home to roost. So. Did you miss Kansas City? Absolutely. This is J.R. Buckner, President and CEO of First Federal Bank of Kansas City. We hope you're enjoying this week's conversation. For this week's Student Spotlight, I'd like you to meet one of the students in our C10 Mentoring and Leadership Program. I'm Sydney from Sumner Academy. And the thing that I'm most thankful for C10 for is just the people that it's put me around, how they inspire me, my mentors, generosity, and all the memories that I made along the way these past four years. First Federal Bank of Kansas City is proud to make a donation this week to the Post High School Scholarship Fund for seniors in the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Program. If you'd like to join us in this effort to give our future leaders an opportunity after high school, please click on the link in the show's notes. Now back to this week's conversation. At what point in your in your whole journey did you realize that you had some leadership qualities? Well, I'm not sure I knew what leadership was, but uh, at, at, at least in, I'll say, high school, it was great to be associated with the, you know, the junior and senior business committees that kind of ran the class and mm-hmm. found my place on those teams. I was always kind of a participative leader type guys. I, I was in this group called Young Presidents Organization because one of my friends told me early on that who was a young CEO that I didn't know anything and I probably needed to join YPO. I wasn't the typical driver type of leader. I, I was, uh, I'll say, inclusive, which probably doesn't work as well if you're right. trying to produce results. But I'd say culturally it was beneficial. And we really needed a strong culture to do the type of complex stuff we were doing and it was important to have people that would come and stay and be motivated and so at least that piece worked so how big at that point how big was chick 40 50 employees and five or six million in sales and when we sold it five years ago it was 175 employees and 50 million in sales what what was the big change do you think in those years what well, the, ch- the change was the interest in automation I mean, back in the day, you could mention pneumatic conveying and people would just look at you funny, right? Mm -hmm. And so it it became the way of handling ingredients, especially in food, because it was all enclosed in a tube and therefore sanitary. So instead of using a belt conveyor, screw conveyor, something like that, it was the best means of conveyance. So I'm, I'm, I'm just picturing this, this big vacuum taking just a boatload of flour from a one vat and moving it to another vat. In simpleton terms, is that kind of the way it works? Yeah. I mean, that, that's it. I mean, replace vat with silo, which was filled from a rail car or truck. Huh. And then the second vat was a scale. And somewhere in between was a sifter, and there you go. Wow. And it's changed a couple times. It's been sold a couple times. So now it's 
it's a, I mean, it's literally a worldwide company now, isn't it? Yeah, we, we would have opportunities worldwide before, but in terms of actually marketing and uh, staffing worldwide, that's, that's different now. And Schick is a part of a group of 10 companies that sell food processing equipment worldwide. So if we're walking in the store and we see Keebler or a host of other bread companies or whatever it might be, Schick very well could have been involved in... Probably was. At least we quoted. <laughs> we didn't always win. <laughs> Were there any big changes that, that you had to see of that big growth, or was it just technology the way it, it changed? I was CEO for 28 years, and you know whether I was leading or cleaning up the management of the change, it was there. There, you know, there change in every category, right? Mm-hmm. But technology was a big one because ultimately, what made our business more complex than just handling flour was we would automate every ingredient in a bakery, and you can visit a bakery that where we automated sixty-two ingredients, and it was almost a, a lights-out process where the Keebler Elf at 3 a.m. would push a button and then it would automatically bring all those ingredients to the mixer in a timely way. I think I need to go visit Schick at some point because it's just, it's fascinating that, I mean, everything's tested there, isn't it? Well, we, we've handled most of these ingredients, so you have test results. Of course, there's so many one-off modifications on ingredients anymore. You, you, you need to ensure that whatever you're ultimately going to be handling, you can handle. So yes, we have test facilities for that. But you going to Schick, you'll have a hard time seeing a pneumatic conveying system because it all comes together at the customer's facility, right? When you came back to lead, were you ready to take over? My dad was clear. I was an estimator. Oh. <laughs> Go estimate. <laughs> Stop coming to me with your ideas. Well, at what point did you feel comfortable leading? Probably about the time I hit 50. I felt like I was competent. And you'd been there at that point for how long? 20 years, 20, <laughs> 25 years, 25 years. Was there a shift for you personally? Was it just experience? What was it for you that you finally became comfortable in, in leading? When you say comfortable, really, truly, I'm talking about the complexities of leadership, meaning that you truly had to be competent, or the company did in so many ways, and it just takes a long time to gain competence. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about me as a leader, because I, I, I went to great lengths to try to grow me up as a leader, but it was leading a company that was taking on change that was the hardest part. How did you grow yourself up? Uh, again, Young Presidents Organization was wonderful because there I'm hanging out with peers who have the same challenges. And so did lots of seminars, uh, actually having a, a small group of, of 10 that you met with every month called a forum well, where you really could look over their shoulder or at, or at least have like a private board of directors to help you with a problem. So all those things were great. As you mentioned YPO, it, it sounds like it is a great group of mentors. 
that's exactly what it is. And I didn't know anything, so probably the first five years in that small group, I just shut up and listened because there were people at the table with lots of wisdom, mm-hmm. and uh, they then they were very generous with their time and talents and helped with significant challenges that I wouldn't have known hmm. quite what to do if they didn't actually mentor me. So It doesn't matter that they're not involved in the food conveyor system. It's just, it's a matter of leadership and, and issues are somewhat the same across the board, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. One of our guys was CEO of GE Insurance Solutions when GE got into the reinsurance business. And that was the year that we had all these hurricanes 15 years ago. And, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, that business was upside down. And that was also the years that the car- the low-carb diets, Dr. Atkins and such, made our work very difficult. So our customers were not buying ingredient handling. They were dealing with their own challenges of falling demand. So it, it, my friend said the only difference between our businesses is a, 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 the number of zeros. <laughs> so, <laughs> How do you define leadership now? Of course, you, you've, got to, you've got to lead your own life. Mm-hmm. And that to me is about followership. And so, uh, you know, we, we learn from others mm-hmm. and that was the faith journey for me is that, you know, I felt Jesus was the best leader of all time and sacrificial, humble leadership was the model. And uh, so I would just say my faith walk had a lot to do with learning to be a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned at the top, our, our C word actually this month with our students and therefore this podcast is coach, which in our definition someone who understands the big picture is an independent thinker a good self evaluator and offers enthusiasm in in leadership how do you define coach well i think of the relationship between any coach and their student or player or however you want to think about it but in most every relationship that i had in business uh, it, it meant that you had to understand the needs of that individual in terms of development. You, it wasn't enough for you just to say, I'm the coach, follow me. Right. It had to be sculpted to what their needs were. So you, you better be a good listener, ask a lot of questions, and, and uh, implement tools and skills and anything that, that would, would help towards their ultimate goals. The Joe I know today does not have an egotistical bone in his body. How much does that play into leadership as we think about coach and think about when you came back to work for your dad and, you know, you're, this is your job, don't bring me these ideas. But as far as having people feel comfortable to bring ideas to you and to not have an ego along those lines and to, to coach them, how how does that all play together for you in leadership? Well, yeah, I mean, you had to have the open door policy. I mean, it. I think it helped my style that I was a extreme extrovert, and yet you also had to be efficient. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just standing at the water cooler. 
Do kids today know what a water cooler is? Yeah, probably not. Okay. Well, especially in, in this COVID world, probably not. <laughs> Before we uh, get away from Schick, your dad is about to uh, be inducted into the what, the Baking Hall of Fame yes. up in Chicago? Yeah, it's really an exciting time for the family. That's, that's cool. Well, finally, Joe, uh, I asked you earlier about 17-year-old Joe Ungashik. What would you tell him today if you could go back? Don't, don't stress so much. Don't fret so much. I mean, it's do your best and trust that it's going to be okay. Probably just that simple. That that the the whole love one another may sound like a kind of a sappy uh, mission statement, but it plays out in so many ways. And uh, I grew up in this season when you didn't dare mention the word love in the marketplace. And, you know, it's you're just not talking the romantic love. That opportunity to sacrificially love is the difference in, in – uh, I, I wish I would have learned. I think I did learn. I learned by watching, and my parents were great examples, and Joe McGuff and plenty of others. But, uh, yeah, those mentors in my world, I think, taught me that. Well, Joe, there's, there's so much more to cover that, uh, I mean, I'll have to – twist your arm again at some point because you are always welcome matt you know that well thank you for your time today and uh, thank you for your support of seeing the major leagues and that's thank you for support of you're on different boards in the city and work with different nonprofits, and and uh, so thank you for all you do for this city that you love as you know it is a pleasure well that does it for this episode of the c10 mentoring and leadership podcast thank you so much for listening We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we hope that you'll leave a favorable review on your favorite podcast platform. If you didn't enjoy it or you have other comments or suggestions for potential guests, you can click on the comment link in the show's notes. We drop a new episode at the end of every week, but be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an interview. And if you or your company would like to help underwrite this podcast, let me know. Until next time, this is Matt Folks for the CU and Major Leagues Foundation saying be safe and take care.